we know he's a teacher. We know, we know he is great with people. We also know that historians tell us he probably didn't travel very far, not much more than 60 miles from his hometown, except for that early flight to Egypt to, to keep his, himself alive. His uh, earthly parents would have taken him to Egypt. Other than that, he was not a world traveler, didn't travel from country to country, doesn't have a best-selling book, never really pastored a church. And yet we read, Jesus returned to Galilee, verse 14. And in power of the Spirit, the news spread about him through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Stop there. Jesus goes to a synagogue, different than a temple. Synagogues are places of education. Could be religious education, but more like a school than a church. Not the temple, but a synagogue. He goes there to read the scriptures. And uh, people love what they're hearing, and so they praise him, verse 15. Now verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as it was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now stop there. The fact that he gets this, pro this piece of prophecy written some 800 years before he actually shows up on earth Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. You can read his, his story. But it was the custom for them to have daily readings. So scholars differ. Some say that Jesus requested this. If he did request this text from Isaiah, it's a miracle that they allowed him to pick the text because normally they had a certain order in which they read things. That's a miracle in and of itself. Or he showed up on the day Isaiah was being read. There are 39 Old Testament books and lots of chapters, even within Isaiah. And where does he land? He lands on the very one that prophesies about him coming. So he picks up this text of Isaiah that was handed to him, and he unrolls it. Verse 17, and he found the place where it's written. And if your Bible's like mine, mine's read at this point. These are the very words of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then you can almost hear, there's a, a pause, and he begins to roll it back up, verse 20, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is filled in your hearing and of course verse 22 they were all amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips isn't this joseph's son they're saying whose boy is this that's my boy you know it's just one of those moments they're so proud of him and he's a hometown boy so they want to be proud of him and so they love him verse 22 they spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from him isn't this joseph's son they asked and jesus said to them Surely you will quote this proverb, the physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, uh, do, here in your, uh, do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. And he says, I tell you, I could do all those things. I find it interesting. In a moment, they love him. Everyone praised him, verse 15. And then they, they loved his gracious words, verse 22. And when he got done telling his story, verse 28. And the people of the synagogue were furious. <laughs> they were just ticked. They were so mad because he was turning over the whole system. Have you ever gone to church and been happy that you went? 
Anybody gone to church and you weren't happy when you went, but you were happy when you left? Yeah, sure. Anybody gone to church and left furious? Don't answer that. <laughs> furious. That's the way they were when Jesus interacted with them. Oh, we love it when he performs the miracle, when he feeds us, when he takes care of us. Then when he says, lay down your life or believe me no matter what, then all of a sudden, oh, we've gone over to crazy land. This is too much dedication for us. But what we believe about the Bible is this. We believe that every word is inspired from God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Since it is inspired of God, it is profitable to us for correction and, and, direct, and redirection of our lives in training and righteousness. It is valuable for reproof and it is, it is good for our soul and our body or spirit. It's also good for us. For, for every corner of our lives and when jesus gives these words these are monumental words because he said i i'm all about the good stuff people i'm gonna help poor people get enough to live on. i'm gonna help those who are maimed those who can't see I'm gonna help those who are far from the lord get close this is what he says this is the favor of the lord verse 19 this is the year for that or the season for that when he spoke those words you count them up there's less than a hundred in most all English Bibles. He summarizes everything about his mission in less than a hundred words. I was thinking about that this week. Could you sum up your life in less than a hundred words or the, the, the mission of some important person? The preamble to the Constitution of the United States, we the people, it's 52 words long. So a lot of us had to learn it as uh, teenagers. The rest of us were supposed to and are still working on it. The Gettysburg Address, 278 words. A little bit longer, 278 words, but still one of the shortest speeches a president's ever given. Amen. Okay, so we don't like to listen to speeches. 278 words from Lincoln was plenty. But this week, I was doing a little random search about words themselves, and, and I decided, oh, why not? It's religious I have a religious experience every time I hit a pothole, don't you? So I started to research a little bit about potholes. I found an article from Northern Virginia, and they were talking about that because we've had the freeze and the thaw and then ice and then raining that turned to freezing rain, that turned to snow on top of that. Then it, the next day it was 60, and then the next day it snowed again, but then that afternoon, you know, tornadoes came through. It was just, it's just the way the weather's been, hasn't it? Yeah. And that causes a freeze-thaw in the ground, which leads to a lot of potholes. That article was 401 words long. Oh, my goodness. Jesus can sum up his whole mission in life in less than 100 words. And we can't get potholes down in 400 words. And then I realized I was only on one article. Right now, in the current article cache, there's over 17,000 articles about potholes. Some of you are going, potheads or pot... No, potholes. <laughs> potholes. Some of you think I'm aligning Virginia. There's lots of other ways to do it. I don't need to do it that way. That means if every article just averages 400 words like that one does, that means we're up over millions of words, over 6 million words. And on the way to work last week, you hit a pothole and had a spiritual experience because you're like, oh, dang, I've got to realign the car or we're taking the life out of my tires. Six million words, and we still have potholes. Jesus goes, here's what I'm about, people. 
100 words, done. Rolls it up, hands it back to the attendant. These words are monumental. They're turning point words. It doesn't take a lot of words. They tell us why Jesus is here on earth. And the reason Jesus could be so clear and concise is because Jesus had a clear sense of what he was called to do. He knew why he came. He had a mission. He knew what he was supposed to do. The gospel would say it very simply. Another gospel would say it simply. Mark chapter 10. I came to serve and I came to give my life as a ransom. That's what Jesus would say. All summed up. When Jesus, uh, Luke 4, when he gets all done, he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. He says, God in heaven is going to smile. It's as if the clouds will part. You'll feel the sunshine of a smile from God. He knew what he was called out, he was, what he was called to do. But he knew what he was called to do because he knew who he was. He had a real sense about himself. Jesus could tell us what he could do and what he was going to do and what had been done because he knew who he was. So who is this Jesus? Well, today I want to talk to you about one phrase from here. He is the anointed one. He is the special favor from God who has been chosen by God the Father who's in heaven to come to earth and to be what the Old Testament would call the Messiah, our words, anointed one. You're saying, are, are you sure he is it? Well, yes, I am, and I'll tell you why. He is the one and only from God who is chosen by the Father to save us from our sins. The reason I believe that is this. Number one, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament's prophecy. The Bible referred to, that uh, Jesus would refer to when they would talk about unrolling the scrolls. They didn't have a full Bible like you do today, like I do today. Um, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four stories of Jesus, they hadn't been written when Jesus is living. He's still living. They haven't been written yet. So then none of the later stories have been written yet either. All they had were the first 39 books, all Old Testament. And those Old Testament books contained hundreds and hundreds of predictions about nations rising and falling, people coming to rule, and things going great and going bad, and things going big and then going small again. All those predictions, but the most amazing predictions were the predictions of this Messiah, this Savior, this King, this anointed one from God. Let me give you eight other predictions. One is that he would be a descendant of Abraham. Two, he would come through the tribe of Judah. Three, he'd be born in Bethlehem, if you knew that or not. Micah, the prophet, 500 years before he came, said, oh, you of Bethlehem, can, can you even know where your town is? Where would it have been 500 years ago? I'm from Gary, Indiana. That's where I was born. I know, didn't get many amens to that. It's, it would still be a steel mill rust out town 500 years ago. I mean, just it's nothing 500 years ago. Yet they could predict the Savior, this Messiah, this anointed one's going to come from Abraham, born in, in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah, even the timing of his birth will be predicted. Number five, he will come through a virgin. Number six, he will be the heir to a throne. Number seven, children will be slaughtered in light of his birth. And number eight, he'll have to escape to Egypt. Those eight alone are enough to convince me. He got all those right and on the money. And what the Old Testament would predict, the New Testament would witness. All of those came true. 
The document of the New Testament just seems to verify everything Jesus said about himself. Now, that begs some questions. One of the questions is this. Um, could these predictions have occurred by chance? Is there an opportunity? Is there a chance they could just have happened? Peter Stoner is a professor of mathematics and astronomy, and he explains that these eight predictions alone, just, just pick the number eight, those eight predictions being fulfilled in one person in light of the human race and the population, getting all that down in one person at that time, I quote, we find the chance that that one man might have lived at the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies. The chances of that happening are one in 10 to the 17th power. Not very high. That means one, just write the number one, and then write 17 zeros behind it. That is 100 quadrillion chance of it happening. That's amazing. That's astounding to me. Stoner goes on to say that for the sake of illustration, because it's hard for us to get an idea of what 100 quadrillion of anything is. So he said, uh, take 100 quadrillion silver dollars and take them to the state of Texas and lay them out flat in the state of Texas, lay them out flat, you would have two feet deep of silver dollars. Two feet deep of silver dollars. And then when you get all of those, you ever been to Texas? It's a big state. You can drive all day and still be in the state. Oh my goodness, it's a big state. That's a lot of silver dollars. And then to be that deep, in silver dollars and then what stoner says is this then you take one of those silver dollars and mark it and then you throw it into the pile and then he says and then you mix it up and then you bring a blind guy in and he will pick it the first time the first time whoever that guy is if you're that guy we're going to Lady Liquor after church today. Okay? Some of you have no idea what that's about. Others of you do and wished it was you. Right? I wished it was you too. There's one chance in 100 quadrillion that those eight... Uh, eight prophecies could be fulfilled in one person at that time and place in history. So the second question comes, could he have manipulated the events? And the answer to that question is, um, can a person choose their birthday? No, they don't choose their birthday. Uh, can they choose where they're born? No, generally not. Does, does any other self-proclaimed savior do they have forerunners who come before them and actually announce the Savior's coming, this anointed one's coming? No, they don't. They are all self-proclaimed, and then people proclaim them after they're gone. But no one comes ahead of the anointed one and announces they're coming. The only one in all of human history that does that is Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus comes with a line of announcers. And so you're saying to yourself, well, you know, maybe... Maybe he manipulated even that one prophecy of, of him going to Egypt. 
you know, he was a baby and they were slaughtering the babies to get rid of the, they heard was gonna be an upcoming king. So Herod's slaughtering the children and Joseph and Mary load up Jesus and pack it off to Egypt until that wicked leader dies and they move back. Is there a chance that a baby could control the family and manipulate those events? And my answer is, uh, you know, there's a chance. I've been manipulated by babies. Have you? Sure. Have they modified your behavior? Uh, you hold a baby? Have you ever had, held a baby and oh, your blood pressure just goes down? Have you ever had that experience? Oh, they're just wonderful. Have you ever held a baby and your blood pressure goes up? Yeah, yeah. And that's when you say, uh, let me get you back to your mommy. <laughs> you know, just, I've been manipulated by babies. I've, and they control our schedule and they control our, a lot of things about our lives. But to run them out of the country is, is extremely, highly, highly unlikely that would happen. Babies are powerful, but not that powerful. Not like Jesus. And another question that comes up is, could Jesus have guessed the outcome? So he, he knows the, all the prophecies, so he's just going to guess the outcome and, and manipulate it that way. S someone might be able to guess once, but to repeat those fulfillments over and over and over again, you go back to the math, it is practically nil, the potential of that happening. And we have not mentioned um, the names that would be given to him. Names that he did receive, that he didn't announce himself, but were put on him. Those were all parts of the prophecy. His ministry events, his rejection by his own people. There, there was even the prediction of his triumphal entry. And all that predicted prior to his birth here on earth. The, the prediction of his betrayal by a close friend. The prediction that he would die, and not just die on a cross, but he would die between two thieves. Get this, even when they went to Calvary's Hill, to Golgotha, and when Jesus died on a cross, they didn't put him off to the side or the other side. They put him right in the middle with a thief on either side of him. All of those are fulfillments of prophecy. Even, even the fact that he was buried with rich people in a rich grave, that he was risen from the dead, and that he rose again, and that he ascended to heaven. Guessing any one of those is mathematically just it's phenomenal to get one but to get them all it's insane to think it's even possible so jesus is the anointed one for reason number one he's the fulfillment of the prophecies but reason number two like we needed second reason he has a birth line that takes him through royalty now, most of us would amaze ourselves at how much we know about our lineage. I can go back 100 years. You say, I can go back 200 years in your lineage or my lineage. We think we're really pretty, you know, pretty cool beings, and we can do that. And the reality is, Jesus could go back 1,000 years. 1,000 years. And that's all verifiable. And that lineage not only takes him back to Israel's history and the height, the rule of King David, but what it does is it, it, it links him to royalty, which it links him to accountability, and then to more scrutiny. And those books are open, folks. That, that's all documentable. So it's easy to say, well, he's the anointed one, but we don't really have his records. No, they have his records. 
He fits within the line and the lineage of royalty. And there's the proof. It's there. It gave him legal right to the throne. And the Pharisees who knew the Old Testament law knew that making a claim like this was extremely dangerous because claiming to be a prophet and then you couldn't produce the, the goods, what they would do is they would take that prophet out to the edge of town and stone him. They'd kill him that day. They're not going to put up with that. So in Old Testament days, in, in godly countries, they had two kinds of prophets. Prophets from God who told the truth and dead prophets. There was nothing in between. Either you, you know, we said it would rain, it rained. Hey, good, you, you live to fight another day. You're wrong, they take you to the edge of town and kill you. Now in ungodly countries, they didn't enforce that and that's what kept them in continual trouble. Jesus came from a royal line and when he claimed that, that day when reading Isaiah, he knew that would put them up for the fight. And yet, you can see in the back of their minds, they're going, oh my goodness, he's from Joseph and Mary, and we have this lineage thing going back. Uh, he might come from, I think this might be true. And he was born in Bethlehem, and they remember that, and they're going back in their lineage, right back to King David. He has the royal line. Thirdly, he has the words and the actions of continuity. In other words, everything that he's saying is in continuity with everything that he's doing. There's no incongruency to his life. He demonstrates compassion, and people couldn't deny it. You see, that's the amazing part of Christianity. When people begin to follow Christ, they do amazing things that they would never do on their own. But they do crazy good things. Crazy good things. We'll talk about this in the weeks ahead. The starting of orphanages and hospitals and educational centers, all that. What was that done? It's done because people believed in the life change that Christ would offer. I read these words from John Ortberg. These are, this is a quote out of a book of his called Who Is This Man? Ortberg writes, ever been on a ride called It's a Small World After All? Anybody? Okay. That song will drive you insane. Amen. That song will drive you insane after you've been on that ride long enough. After I've been in line that long, okay, I might add. Where did that idea come from when the world gathered together? The people from every gender, every nationality, every status would gather like family. Where before Jesus um, was there a movement that actively sought to include every single human being? Regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, income, gender, moral background, or education, to be loved and transformed. Not only had there never been a community like this before, but there simply had never been the idea of a community like this before. It was Jesus' idea, and it was happening. While pagan priests and magistrates competed for the love of honor, Christians termed it vain glory. And so they went after the poor, the widows, the orphans. Christians gave alms. Pagans had given to see any spiritual merit in the, in the status of the poor. They, they didn't give to the poor. Whereas pagan trade societies and most of their religious groups segregated the sexes among membership, Christians included men and women alike. And in the Greek world, slaves were generally excluded from pagan groups. Christians even admitted slaves as pagan masters. Tertullian, that's a 
church history guy. Tertullian said, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. I love that, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he changed the trajectory of so many lives. His words and his actions were so profound, it changed us. And we don't all do the same thing, but we all do something to make this world a better place. And that's the influence of the Savior. I have two conclusions, and then we're going to pray. The first conclusion is this. Number one, we have a credible Savior. An absolutely credible Savior. You can go to the bank on his identity, his authority, his power. Those far from God, listen to me carefully. If you're far from God, you're looking at Christianity from the outside and walking around the car, kicking the tires, seeing if it's really true. I'll tell you, here's one thing you can go to the bank on. You can trust God, and you can trust God in Christ. Why? Because he's extremely credible. You can put him to the test, and if it's true, it'll, it'll hold the test. And this truth test about Jesus holds every time. So you're far from God, or you're looking from the outside in, God can be trusted. Number two, it, it, the other part of this is you may be saying, I, I trust Jesus, and I, I consider myself a Christian. And my word to you is, you know what? You can trust God too. You don't have to stop trusting him for what you need today, tomorrow, next year. You don't have to stop trusting him for your marriage and, and the heartaches of your life. You can trust him. He can be trusted. Why? Because he is so credible. And he's out for your good. This is what is hard for us to get our heads around. He's not out to limit our living. He's out to put up loving limitations to keep us from self-destruction. So when you follow him and you believe him and you submit to him, do you know what eventually will happen? You'll begin to find out he really does love me and you'll begin to really, really love him. We have a credible savior, number one. And number two, conclusion is he has an incredible plan. He has an incredible plan. His plan is good news, helping the poor, freeing the prisoners, giving sight to the blind, setting oppressed people free. And that's all encompassing. It is the favor of the Lord that we proclaim. See, This week you're going to run into someone who had a bad experience with a Christian or a bad experience with church, and you'll be able to say to them, you know, that's not what Jesus was about. I know what he's about. And you don't have to read a million words to figure it out. A hundred words will do it. You'll have ten left over. It's pretty short. He came for the year of the favor, and he puts that favor on us. It's a wonderful thing. So this week, when you tell your story about Jesus or when you listen to others talk about their story of Jesus, know that we have a credible Savior and he is incredibly good in his plan. And it's incredibly good for you and for me. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together. Let's bow together for prayers. And would you stand with me? And uh, with our heads bowed, uh, just before I pray, if you need to pray with somebody at the close of service or you just have an issue, um, 
you need someone to pray for you, step up to the front, to the left, and Mike will be there. Bless us, dear Lord, and you have. Uh, so now may we live to be a blessing where we are. But bless us, dear Lord, we pray. And may we know in our heart of hearts that we have a wonderful Savior. And in this season, when we speak of him and when we think of him, may we see him for who he really is and the favor he wants to bestow upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, the church says amen. amen. amen.